Wait, have you seen the, the cable? I need to work in this thing and make sure. Hey. Shh. Hey. Oh. I need to work in this. What are you doing? What is going on? What's the problem? It's the Sabbath. What? It's the Sabbath. The what? The Sabbath! You know, God's day, the Lord's day? <laughs> the day where we, we we put aside and we make it holy? I. It's fine. I mean, I'm... What, what, what is the deal with that? I, I'm... You can't honor God by playing around with your your magical music machine, okay? No, I mean, that. I think you're confused. I'm not confused. I'm centered. Okay, you... Me and Jesus. Okay, whatever. Uh... Hey, dude! Hey! Hey, man! Uh, look, look what I have. I found these things I was thinking we can go and play. What do you think? You want to join me? Are you, are you crazy? It's the Sabbath day. What? The Lord's day. Look, I understand over in South America, wherever you're from, like the jungle, you guys, maybe you don't <laughs> keep the Sabbath day holy, but we can't play golf on on Sunday. These are not holy. Okay. These are the devil. Whatever. Okay. See ya. Lord, I lift your name on high. Hey, dude, Lord, check this out. Look, look, look what I found here. Did you know that the average Hispanic person is so always smarter than the... Hey, 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 look, look what it said here. The average Hispanic person is normally smarter than the white person. Well, if you want to know something that's really true right now, I'm sitting here on the Sabbath day worshiping the Lord while you're reading books. Oh. I, I mean... How dumb are you now? But I think you're confused. I, I, I think you're, you're not right. Uh, but I like this idea. I like that we are smarter and more handsome. Yeah, about that. You came from heaven to earth to show the way. Anyway, we're continuing on our series that we've been dealing with the, the Ten Commandments. We've called it God's Top Ten Tips for a Great Life. And today we're going to look at the Fourth Commandment, as you saw in the video, dealing with uh, keeping the Sabbath day holy. It's given to us in Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11. And it reads, Remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord, your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons, daughters, your male, female servants, your livestock, and any foreigners living among you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. But on the seventh day he rested. That is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. So let me remind you what I shared with you a number of weeks ago about the Ten Commandments and the listing of the Ten Commandments. The first four uh, commandments, one through four, are dealing with our relationship with God. The last six of the Ten Commandments are dealing with our relationship together as God's people. And so today we're, because we're moving backwards, we've done ten through uh, five already, today we're moving to number four, 
And we're beginning in that section of commandments that deal with our relationship with God. And here God tells us that one of the ways that we enhance our relationship with him is to make sure that we keep the Sabbath day holy. Exodus says that God set the Sabbath apart and he made it holy. So from this particular commandment, I want to share four insights that I believe the Lord gave me to, to tell to you today that speak to us about how he wants us to observe this particular commandment in terms of how it should affect us and our hearts. The first observation I would make would be this. Make sure you honor God in your life. Now we know that as Christians, we are to honor God in every part of our life. If there's one thing this commandment is telling us, it's that we are to honor God in our lives. And one of the ways that we honor God, I want you to think about this, is to honor the things that he considers honorable, that he considers important. Now, I certainly try to do that in relationship with my wife. I think anybody who wants to have a great marriage is going to have that, have that kind of an attitude, that you're going to want to honor things that are honorable to your spouse, that are important to your spouse. If you do that, it helps to build a great relationship with your spouse. And there will always be differences between us as men and women. We do not see life exactly the same. I don't see life the same as Carrie. I don't have necessarily the same list of, of important issues to me that are important to her. But it's important that I honor what is important to her, that I see value in what she considers valuable. And it's important that she does the same thing to me. If, if you know that something is important to your spouse, even if it's not to you, it is a wise thing to make that important in your life as well, to consider it valuable in your heart as well, because that builds a great marriage, and that's one of the ways that we honor one another in human relationships. And really, that's what we're talking about here in this commandment. You may not fully understand why God says that we are to honor the Sabbath day, that we're to keep it holy. You may not understand why that's important to God. You may not understand why you need to do that. But as his child, it needs to be important to you. It needs to be important to me because we know it's important to him. Does that make sense? And you honor him by making it important to you. But this commandment brings up a very interesting or important question. If I'm to honor the Sabbath, which day is the Sabbath? Now, I would suppose if I was to take a poll of, of our audience today, or maybe you could write it down secretly so we wouldn't know who put what down, and I was to say, put down the day of the week that is the Sabbath, many of you would put down Sunday as the Sabbath. And that's because most churches worship on Sunday, and people get this idea that Sunday, therefore, must be the Sabbath, but it's not. Saturday is the Sabbath, not Sunday. Exodus chapter 20, verse 11 says that God rested on the seventh day, that is Saturday, and he set that day apart as holy. So the Jews went to synagogue 
on Saturday, not Sunday. Jesus worshiped in the synagogue on Saturday, not on Sunday. Well, if it is true that Saturday is the Sabbath and we're to keep the Sabbath holy, why do we worship on Sunday? I'm glad you asked me that question. <laughs> there are several important reasons why we worship God on Sundays. The first reason I would give you is this, because first century Christians wanted to distinguish themselves from the Jews in their, in their culture and in the eyes of the world around them. You keep, at, at the time that the church is forming, most of the people of the world considered Judaism to simply be a small sect within, uh, excuse me, Christianity be a small sect within Judaism. But it wasn't. It was the fulfillment of the Jewish law. It was the fulfillment of the Jewish promise, prophets. That's who Jesus was. And so the early church wanted to uh, distinguish themselves apart from the Jews and let the world know that they were different from the Jews, and therefore they began worshiping on Sunday. That's one reason. The second reason is probably the most important reason why. It's because the church wanted to honor the resurrection of Christ. And the resurrection of Christ took place on Sunday, not on Saturday. And so they took upon themselves that day as an act to honor Jesus Christ, his sacrifice, and his ultimate victory over death. Thirdly, we worship on Sunday because nowhere in the Bible did God ever require that Gentiles are to worship on the, seventh, uh, on the Sabbath, on the seventh day. In fact, the Apostle Paul dealt with this in Romans 14, 5, where he says, Some think one day is more holy than another day while others think every day is alike. You should each be fully convinced that whichever day you choose is acceptable. In other words, if, you, if it's your heart to worship God as a special day on Saturday instead of Sunday, that's fine. If it's in your heart to worship God on a Sunday as opposed to a Saturday, that is fine. In fact, I believe this scripture is saying it's even okay to come to church on Wednesday night. Just a thought. To us, really, as Christians, every day should be holy because we are God's people and we're set apart by His Spirit to be holy. And so I act on Monday the way I act on Sunday. Right? I act on Thursday the way I do on Monday. You see, it's, it's, there's no like better day than another. We're, we're to be holy and Christ honoring every day. But setting aside one day like a Sunday gives us the opportunity to meet with one another. Because if we all came to church just whenever, you know, you may come when there's no worship team. You may come when there's no pastors. We have to have organization to this, and so we've established a Sunday as the day that we are going to worship together to receive instruction and to receive encouragement from one another within the family of God. So the point is not which day you honor God. This commandment reminds us to honor God with all that we are, all the time. And this principle is given in Romans chapter 14 a little bit further down now in verses 7-8 where Paul says we don't live for ourselves 
We don't die for ourselves. If we live, it's to honor the Lord. If we die, it's to honor the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. In other words, our whole life, our whole existence is caught up in this one idea. I'm going to honor the Lord Jesus Christ with my thoughts, with my words, with my actions every day of my life. And I'm going to especially come together to receive from one another and from the Lord when we gather together on Sundays. Make sure that you honor Jesus with your life. That's a principle that comes out of this commandment. Another principle, make sure you honor yourself. That might seem odd. Really? I'm supposed to think about myself? Yes, you are. This commandment says that God rested on the Sabbath, which brings up another great question. Did God get tired during creation? Did he deplete his energy? Is that the reason that he rested? Did he need to take a break? Well, the answer to that question is obvious. No, he didn't. God didn't get tired. The scripture reveals that the Lord is the Lord omnipotent. And that word omnipotent means all-powerful. Revelation 1.8 quotes Jesus saying, I am the Alpha, I am the Omega, the one who is and was and is coming. I am God all-powerful. And if you have power that never depletes, that never diminishes, you obviously don't need to take a break. You don't need to rest. God's power doesn't weaken, ever. So it's like sometimes, you know, we can think of God sort of like we do the government, that there's only so much pie there, and that when they run out of pie, well, I guess they borrow from the Chinese. I don't know. But anyway, uh, that when you run out of pie, that eventually you, you are going to run out of resources, you know. And we kind of think the same way with God. It's like, well, if I pray about everything, God's going to be overwhelmed by everybody praying about everything all the time. It's just going to be an overwhelming thing to him. No, 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 no. God never diminishes. He never depletes. He can handle every one of your cares, every one of your concerns, every one of your issues, just like he's ha handling every other person who is within the family of God as they reach out to God and say, Lord, come and minister to my life and to my needs. His power never diminishes, and so he never needs to take a break. So why did he rest then? Well, simply to teach us by way of example that we need to rest. We need to rest. He says, you take the Sabbath day off, I set the example, now you do the same thing. He didn't need to take a rest because he was tired, but here's the truth. We are not all powerful. I know when you're 22 you think you are. But you aren't. You are not all powerful. You do deplete. You do need rest. You know, even modern science is catching up with this. I, I googled this on the computer this past week to find out what, what are some of the effects on physiologically upon us when we, uh, when we don't get enough rest. You know, it's quite amazing the things that they're finding are affect us. And, and as a culture, Americans don't get enough rest. Did you know that? We don't get enough rest. So here's what I found, 12 different things they mentioned. Inadequate sleep, number one, raises your risk of accidental injury and death. Well, that's because you're not being alert and sharp. Number two, it impairs brain activity and cognitive ability. So 
honey, that's my problem. I'm not sleeping enough. <laughs> you know, just so you know. And number three also applies to me. It leads to memory problems and loss. <laughs> well, we're joking about this, but it's real. Oh, number four applies to me too, Carrie. It leads to moodiness. <laughs> All right. Um, fact number five, hallucinations, uh, depression. You can even get depression because you don't sleep or rest enough. Number seven, it can cause you to fall asleep without knowing it. Now, I'm not talking about narcolepsy. That's a medical condition. But people who have this condition, apps, actually, they can fall asleep and not even realize that happened. Now, that's a scary thought when you're out there on, the, on Bangor. You know, that there's some measure of people that are coming the other direction, or maybe even going the same direction, who may fall asleep. Number eight, it weakens your immune response. Um, you know, your immune system is vital. It doesn't just keep you from getting colds and the flu. It keeps you from getting cancer and a whole host of other diseases. When your immune system is depleted, your ability to fight off those things is weakened. Um, number nine, we'll go quickly over this one. It can cause weight gain. Number 10, type two diabetes. Number 11, high blood pressure. And number 12, heart disease. So this is, this is serious. And, and can, I, can I go from preaching the word of God to preaching just a little bit of an opinion here that like Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, this is not really a word from God, but I think it's in, it lines up with what God is trying to say to us. Some of us are pushing ourselves too hard. You know, I just want you to think about that in your life. You're, you're pushing yourself way too hard. And, and the reason for that is you're prioritizing the wrong things. Now, I'm not going to make a list. I just want you to think about that. God, am I prioritizing the wrong things in my life? Because for some of us, you're driving yourself to an early grave. You really are, by not obeying this commandment of God. And here, here again, I'm going to get into opinion, but I have a real concern about how hard we are pushing our kids in America. Just take it as an opinion. But some of our kids are involved in way too much. You've, you've got them involved in every activity, and it's just about killing you to get them there, and you're establishing a terrible pattern for their future. Not too many amens there, but nonetheless, you think about it, you know, about how you want to prioritize your life. Now, I know some of you thought, I got it, I'm just not going to come to church much. That'll deprioritize my life. Remember, we're talking priorities here. What is the most important thing for your family? And you say to, your, say to me, well, pastor, you don't know. My kid really likes doing that thing, and I'm sure that they do. But I just want to give you Proverbs chapter 25, verse 16. It says it this way. Do you like honey? Don't eat too much, or it'll make you sick. Another way of saying that is moderation in all things. All right? Don't have your children involved in everything they necessarily want to do. You, as the parent, set the standard because, by example, first of all, but also by, by directive and by what you say and, and how you teach your, your children. 
Some, some versions of the Bible, that's a new living, some of them say, if you have too much honey, you'll vomit it out. You know, it's a real nice way of putting it, huh? So don't overdo anything, because in the end, it may really be destructive to you physically. And God says you need to honor yourself. All right, number three, honor Christ's church. So I don't see anything about the church in that commandment. Well, that's why you come to church, so I can teach you about the church. Now, while it's true that every day is a holy day and a day of worship for us, and all that we do is for the glory of God, still God says in verse number nine of that original text in Exodus that we're to dedicate a day unto him as believers and as believers, we are to gather together. In fact, Hebrews chapter 10, I don't have it in, in your notes or anything, but it's, you, I don't remember which verse it is right off the top of my head, but you can just read the whole chapter. He says there, don't skip meeting together in church. In fact, that's about exactly the way the Living Bible puts it. Don't quit meeting together in church services. Uh, in the, the more precise versions, it, it says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. This is important. There's a day that we need to set apart that, that is important to us as the church to connect with one another. So Paul tells us in his teaching that after the cross, God has now written his law in our hearts. So when the Ten Commandments were written, how did God write them? On a tablet of stone, right? The finger of God wrote on a tablet, carved out stone, and that's what the Ten Commandments were. But now since Jesus died and rose from the, rose from the dead, and the Holy Spirit has come to live within us, the, the Word of God teaches that the law of God is now written on our hearts. It's not written on tablets of stone, it's written on our hearts, and we're to follow the law of the Spirit now. Uh, as he guides us into things. So it's not about ritualistic law anymore. It's about following the word of God and following the direction of the spirit to develop this dynamic relationship with God. Now, I just want to remind you that God is very concerned about your heart. He's not just concerned about your actions. He's concerned about your attitudes, about what's going on inside you. When nobody is around, nobody knows about it, nobody sees it. We get this idea that God just want us to, wants us to conform to a list of do's and don'ts. That's not true. God has never been about that. God has always been about what's going on in your heart. It's kind of like when you ask one of your kids to help you out with some chores or some, something that needs taken care of, and, you know, they get this attitude, oh, I don't want to do it, you know, and they're just acting like... Like, they're acting terrible because you ask them to help you out with something. They, oh, man, I just don't know how I can do that. And, uh, but you insist on it, and maybe they go ahead and they actually do it, you know. But they've had this attitude problem. They didn't do it happily. The, the problem is not their actions. They did what you asked them to do. The problem is their heart. They did what you wanted, but they did it unwillingly. And, and their attitude revealed that there's really a relational problem between you and them. Now, every kid gets a bad attitude once in a while. It doesn't mean there's a relational problem. But sometimes if this goes on and on and on, it can reveal that there's a real problem within you. And it's the same with the Lord. He's not just looking for our obedience. Oh, I've got to go to church today. 
I don't want to, but I'll be there because I'm faithful. That's not what God wants from us. Kind of like cartoon I, I read years ago where the wife is telling her husband to get out of bed. She says, it's time for church. Come on, we got to get to go to church. And, and he, he's there whining and groaning. He says, I don't want to get out of church. Nobody likes me there. Everybody's always complaining about me. All the time. That's all I hear. I'm not going to go. But she says, you're the pastor. You've got to go. <laughs> well, sometimes maybe you do go out of obligation. I'll be truthful and tell you there are times that I would rather go play golf. Marco, those are called golf clubs <laughs> that you were holding. I thought that was funny. We, I have these things. And and let's go play. He doesn't even know what he's holding, you know. <laughs> um, they're called golf. Yeah, there are times that I'd rather do something different. Everybody wants to do something different. And, and it's, it's not like your heart is always, oh, wow, this is, this, the most, this is the most wonderful thing I can think of ever doing, you know. So sometimes you do go out of obligation, and I think that that's important because you never want your emotions to become your God. You never want your emotions to start dictating to you what you're going to do and not do, you know. You have established some principles in your life, some habits in your life, and you're going to fight your emotions on some Sundays, and you're actually going to be here. But if it's always an obligation, if you never want to come because you love God, you love God's people, well, then that might be a sign that there's something not right in your relationship with the Lord. And maybe you need to make that right before things turn really, really bad spiritually. God is looking for heart obedience because it's a sign that, that things are right in your relationship with him. And that's why Romans 14, 5, what I gave you earlier, is so important. We read it before. Some think one day is more holy than another, and others, every day is alike. You should be fully convinced that what, whichever day you choose is acceptable. See, that's a heart verse. That's, that's not a law verse. That's a heart verse. It's saying it's not important which day you choose, it's important that you honor God in the choices, that you stay tender and close to him. So I think that God is saying here, if you really love me, make sure that you set aside time in your life with other believers. Get together with other believers. Connect with them. Learn from them. Bless them. Don't just receive a blessing. Go to bless other people. I've told you this many, many times. I want you to find the grumpiest looking person in this church this morning and go up to them and give them a great big hug. You know, they need it. I see one wife hugging her husband right now. So we won't go there. We won't go there. But, but go, to, go to fellowship to connect with one another and to bless one another. And some of those blessings might be very practical. It means that you, you join the the. The, host, uh, the, the hostess ministry and, and, and the welcoming ministry and, and, and or maybe you're an usher and you're just welcoming people. You're making them feel so warm and welcomed and that they're wanted and that they're loved and we care about their lives because that's important. And so what that means is you step up to the plate and say, yeah, you can count on me. I will be a part. I will give my life in ministry. And so therefore, we have developed this wonderful ministry in the first Sunday of every month 
called the Connection Class that you can go to and you can find out how to get involved in ministries. We'll tell you all about it. You can sense what God wants you to do and then step up to the plate and give yourself to it. This commandment is saying for us to remember to honor God, to honor ourselves and to honor his church by getting involved with one another in ministry. Which brings me to the last thing then, make sure you honor eternity. And what I mean by this is you're, you're honoring the concept that this world is not your final place. You're, you're on your way somewhere better. Uh, we're, we're going somewhere, amen? We sang about this morning. Jesus is coming soon. Why is he coming? To take us to be with him, you know? One of these days, and if it happens before I'm done, boom, there's gonna be this, this total transformation of, of nearly all of us in this place. And we're going to rise and we're going to go to be with the Lord forever, the Bible says. And if you don't know Jesus, you're going to be sitting here with just a couple other folks looking around saying, where is everybody? But listen, if you don't know Jesus, you better check out who the pilot is on the next plane you fly. Because if they're a believer and you're not, you don't want to be on that plane. I don't know if you can find that out or not, but uh, just, just the thought. You don't want to be, you say, why? Some of you are going to say, why? Think about it. The Bible uses the thought of Sabbath rest to symbolize eternity with Christ. So what was literal in the Old Testament in the New Testament becomes a foreshadowing of something that's better. Look at Hebrews 4.9. It says, there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. That's talking about eternity, folks. There is no Sabbath rest on this, in this world. Israel goes in and conquers the promised land. You know, the first Sabbath rest was very literal, the seventh day. Then it became symbolic of, of Israel leaving Egypt and going to the promised land. That was their Sabbath rest. But even after they got there, they still had fighting and wars and, you know, they, they, and then, of course, they blew it all the time. They were always disobeying God. And so there was no Sabbath rest. But when we get into the New Testament, the Sabbath rest concept has two meanings to us. First of all, it's our freedom from our slavery to our old life. Egypt is symbolic of our old life to sin. We were slaves to it, just like the Jews were slaves in Egypt. We were slaves to our sin. We've been set free, and we've been brought into a Sabbath rest of our relationship with God. And it's wonderful, and it's powerful, but we still experience disease, and we still experience heart hardship and we still experience weakness and and we still experience confusion in this world you will have trouble jesus said so what do we look for we look for the sabbath rest that is to come and that's the seventh sabbath rest of eternity for those of us who know christ there is coming an eternal sabbath rest it's called heaven i don't know what heaven's fully going to be like i just want to share with you uh, a three-sentence description from one lady um she wrote it in her book, My Glimpse of Eternity. Her name is Betty Malls. And Betty died about 5.30 in, in the morning one day. And the sheet was pulled over her. And she was, she was uh, pronounced dead. Of course, the sheet pull, pulled over her. And, and there she was. 30 minutes later, God brought her back. And in her book, my glimpse of eternity she shares a wonderful story but as these three sentences that you see on the on the screen just say it all to me 
I felt I had everything I ever wanted to have. Have you ever felt that? You won't down here. When you get there, you'll feel like you've had, you have everything you've ever wanted. Everything that you ever intended to be was what you've become. And he, I was arriving at where I had always dreamed of being. Now that was true of Betty because she knew Christ as her savior. Well, how about you? If she would have died without Christ as her savior, the testimony she would have given had she still come back would have been opposite to that. She would have explained a terrorizing place, a terrifying place that the enemies of God go to. But Jesus offers a way out. I accepted that way out a number of years ago for my life. And I just want to close the service today by giving you the opportunity to accept Christ. He's much more than fire insurance. He is everything you ever dreamed he could be. And I mean that. He's the friend that sticks closer than the bro a brother. He is your shield. He is your high tower of safety where you can run away and run unto him. He cares about your every need. He moves and works in your life, opens doors. I was talking to a brother this morning on the way in. And I said, how are you doing? He, he, I forget what the time frame was. He says, been so many months sober. So many months sober. And I rejoiced with him at what God's done in his life. You know what? If you're not sober today, God wants to do that in your life. He wants you to set you free from the drugs, the alcohol, and everything else that just destroys your life. He'll turn your life around if you'll honor Christ in all areas of your life. Would you bow your heads real quickly? And Here at Life Church, we pray that you have a blessed week. Please connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, or you can always go to lifechurchutah.com.